0: about that anger management class. The Family Resource Center regularly advertises a seminar for children entitled A Volcano in My Tummy. The program description reads in part this course will teach children how to handle their anger using the anger rules Anger can then become a motivating force that will help them build healthy relationships and lead successful, happy lives. As a Christian, what do you think of this course's stated aim? Can anger be managed, even harnessed, to build healthy relationships and happy lives? Or in our gospel lesson this morning, does Jesus dismiss such anger management and instead teach anger banishment? Be honest. How angry have you been lately at people around you, certain leaders in the country, or the world as a whole? And if you're frustrated right now about something, how long have you felt this way? The media aren't likely to help you manage these emotions. In fact, media glorifies in outrage in headlines like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. But what we should be reporting on and talking about more is what all this chronic anger is doing to all of us. Because Christ cares about us, He makes a big deal about anger in the first part of the gospel lesson today. We live in an age of anger. We make cute with angry birds, but wrath threatens to overwhelm us and make us angry people. Doctors from Coral Gables, Florida, compared the efficiency of the heart's pumping action in 18 men with coronary artery disease to nine healthy controls. Each of the study participants underwent a physical stress test, riding an exercise bicycle, and three mental stress tests, doing math problems in their heads, recalling an incident that had made them angry recently, and giving a short speech to defend themselves against a hypothetical charge of shoplifting. And using sophisticated techniques, the doctors took pictures of the subjects' hearts in action during these tests. And for all the subjects, anger reduced the amount of blood that the heart pumped to body tissues more than the other tests. But this was especially true for those who had heart disease. Why anger is so much more potent than fear or mental stress is anybody's guess. We think of anger in terms of red, fire, blazing, flaming, fuming, smoldering, boiling, and even when it's ice cold, it will still burn. It has been called the devil's furnace and the other sins will fuel it. Envy with its own eyes fixed on the object of its resentment, seeking vengeance, Greed, if it is checked, will lead to it, but it, in its turn, will inflame the other sins as well. The angry person is likely to become more proud, more envious, even more slothful, since he spends less time than he should on other things, because nursing his anger consumes him. Flames lick and leap anywhere they find something to burn. A fire may smolder for a long time unnoticed and so anger can burn its way through a whole being into his words and deeds and gestures and no other of the sins uses all three of these so skillfully or in so deadly a combination. Anger expresses itself in words and gestures of criticism, defensiveness and contempt You see that in the text today, you fool or raka, whatever that means. It ultimately reduces to pride through the achievement of sweet revenge. Pastor Dan Dan Emity's youngest brother worked selling printed checks for the bank depositors' use. And some people personalized them by having their own picture printed on them. One man wanted checks printed for the special account he used for alimony and child support payments. You see where this is going. And the picture he ordered was of himself beautifully kissing his new wife. (laughs) All of this provides the backdrop for Jesus's words. It shows how much they are needed and also why these words need to be so shocking. This man, Jesus, the crowds concluded, spoke as one having authority. The prophet said, thus says the Lord. The scribe said, so-and-so used to say. This man, Jesus, said, it was said, but I say. Is this arrogance of an unbelievable sort? Or is it something else, something unique? His authority was self evident in his actions. He pronounced forgiveness to a cripple and then healed the man to show that he could forgive. He accepted tax collectors and sinners and gave them another chance. He healed people, even if it was on the Sabbath, when all such work was forbidden. Because of his actions, people saw this man, Jesus, as a liberator from the law. But now in sovereign liberty, he strengthens the law's demands. If you're angry, you're a murderer. If you lust, you're an adulterer. If you mock someone, you're in danger of hellfire. And he isn't just being cute. Not one dot or pen stroke will be removed from the harshness of the law. Indeed, he made this law so radical that people's eyes must have filled with tears. And you can almost hear them saying, even with Moses, we had it easier. There, at least we knew where we stood, even if we didn't keep the commandments. But this Jesus of Nazareth demands the whole of us, and even declares that the innermost secret thoughts of the heart belong to God. He increases the demand when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Even though we're not all outwardly murderers or rapists, don't we still have in us the beast that lurks beneath the surface? Do you remember years ago how in the LA riots, ordinary, passable, even decent people got caught up in it? Opportunity makes thieves, the saying goes. But isn't it more true to say that opportunity brings out what was there all along to bring out what was there all along is the function of the law in all of its terrible beauty but it doesn't cure us from being us the gospel is the medicine if Jesus dwells on the law here it is so that we will not think the medicine is cheap it is Jesus Christ the to-be-crucified one who is facing us here. And so it is that before we hear the redeeming words of what he has done for us, we need to hear what we have done against him. And only then will we comprehend the cross of Calvary in all of its full magnificence and love. Otherwise, it becomes harmless, void of meaning fit only to decorate things if even a rock star like Madonna but given its full depth of meaning it becomes the God-given means of getting us beyond ourselves forgiveness the first part of the solution of the problem has to come from a God who has not given over to anger himself though he had every right to Wrath is the love of one's own right beyond all others, the definition goes. Christ gave up his divine rights and prerogatives. God resolved his just anger at us by taking it up within himself. Christ's death brought reconciliation. And that sets the model for us. Two sisters spent the day fighting. That evening, they got ready for bed while still mad at each other. As they were saying their prayers, the eight-year-old came out with, Dear God, bless Daddy and Mommy, bless our cat and dog, amen. The mother, waiting for something like this, said, Didn't you forget something? The eight-year-old glared across the bed at her six-year-old sister, And, oh yes, God bless my (laughs) ex-sister. If we respond in kind to the offender, we validate that offender's premises. The victim is not free until he stops focusing on the victimizer. An infamous murder is in the South is back in the news with the movie Till. Till. Mamie Till Mobley lost her only child, her son Emmett, who was visiting relatives and friends in Mississippi in 1955. Emmett, a 14-year-old from Chicago who wasn't wise to the ways of the Deep South, was claimed to have made a wolf whistle at a white woman. 2.30 in the morning, the next Sunday, two men stormed into the house where Emmett was staying and took him away at gunpoint. Three days later, his badly beaten and shot body was discovered and his murderers were tried and acquitted. This is the hardest thing that a parent is ever confronted with, the murder of a child. Back in Chicago, Mamie Till Mobley had insisted that her son's casket have a glass lid on it so that everyone could see what was done to him. Her action helped spark the civil rights movement. But her other action is much more seldom mentioned and really is more important, certainly for us. Years later, she was asked, Don't you harbor any bitterness toward those two men? Mamie's reply reveals the depth of her faith. From the very beginning, that's the question that has always been raised. What they had done was not for me to punish. And it was not for me to go around hugging hate to myself because hate would destroy me. It wouldn't hurt them. "'I did not wish them dead. I did not wish them in jail. "'If I had to, I could take their four little children, "'and I could raise those children as if they were my own, "'and I could have loved them.'" Mamie remembered her son when she saw children playing in the neighborhood and listened to her friends talk about their grandchildren, something that she realized she would never experience. Mamie said this about her faith. I was brought up in the church. It preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe the Lord meant what he said, and I tried to live according to the way I've been taught. It didn't come easily. Remember the glass lid. But grace triumphs, as even Moses in the Old Testament reading said that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Here's the bottom line. Anger and failure to forgive cannot abide in the heart of one who has been and expects to be forgiven by God. Do you get angry with certain people? Even label them an idiot? moron or whatever to be completely honest admit your sin before God and reconcile with the other if possible leave your gift there before the altar and first go make peace Jesus says ask God to guide you with his spirit ask someone to forgive you and then truly you will be children of the father in heaven peacemakers salt and light, a city set on a hill. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.